Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you've tuned in today. Boy, we have a good program lined up for you. Uh, E.W. Jackson's going to join me yet again. He's got a great book, his biography called Reflections on Freedom and Liberty from a Descendant of Slaves. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy of that book today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I just... We've got one copy of the book, so I'm giving you the phone number now. You, this is the thing. I mean, I, I have absolutely no trouble doing this. If you are listening to the beginning of the program on Terrestrial Radio, then I, I realize there are a lot of people who listen to the uh, the podcast or they download, or, you know, and the, by the time they hear it, you know, we've already given away the stuff. So, But for those who tune in on a regular basis, I want to thank you for tuning in, especially at the start of the program. I know especially in Southern California, you have other options. There are other Christian call-in programs, talk shows, Bible answer programs, stuff like that. So the fact that you are tuning in here right now really means a lot to me. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be sharing with you um, the good news of the gospel and, and some good news that is happening here. Um, E.W. Jackson's going to be with us. We're also going to take a look at this whole thing with the uh, Catholic Church and what happened at Walter Reed Hospital during uh, Holy Week. Because it's really insidious to think of what the federal government is doing to stop religious liberty. And, and, and this is, you know, it's one of those things where it, on, on the one hand, you look at what happens in the culture and you have to say, okay, it's a sinful fallen world. I get it. Stuff's going to happen that we as Christians aren't necessarily going to like. But we also have to, you know, Jesus prayed in John 17 that God would protect us to do the work to which he has called us. And uh, we shouldn't try to necessarily Christianize the culture, but to let our light so shine before others that they would see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. So that being the case, that's the way we operate. And so, you know, it, it really does make things a lot easier, I think, as Christians to live in the culture that we live in, when you understand first and foremost, if we want the world to be a nicer place, physically and otherwise, we are to care for creation. God created the heavens and the earth and created mankind, placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, somewhere around Nineveh, I believe, modern-day Iraq or wherever that is specifically. And then sin entered the camp and it set everything off in motion. And by the time Jesus returned, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Are those two powerful verses in John's gospel. But let us not forget the condition of the world that Jesus found when he was born of a virgin and began the plan of redemption. Verse 18, John chapter 3, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only begotten Son. And then, literally, this is John telling us while Jesus is on the earth. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been seen in the sight of God. And that's just John telling us when you're a Christian, when you really are walking in the light as he is in the light, First John chapter 1, we have fellowship with one another. And walking in the light is great because A, you can see where you're going. B, you can see where the potential pitfalls are. And C, if you do sin or are you impacted by sin, if you are impacted by the sins of others, you know, in other words, that I call it the car crash. You're driving along doing your own thing and really not causing any problems and then somebody else crashes into you. The sins of others are going to impact your lives, your life. And um, that's why I believe it's important. God says, you know, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we forgive the sins of others, then our sins will be forgiven. But if we are not willing to forgive the sins of others, then you can't go before God and say, please forgive my sin when you're holding on to this malice against somebody else. So we're living in this sinful fallen world that we have. And we know that our heart's desire is to be with the Lord, to be with him for all eternity. And there's a part of us, too, that knows there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
we talk about how, you know, we sh this world is not our home, but this earth will be part of that new home. You know, Chad Bird wrote a great piece in 1517 last week where he, was, he said, basically, I can't wait to get out of heaven. And I loved what he said. His sentiment was so very, very true and powerful simply because it, it, it is true. When we leave our earthly existence for now, we will be with the Lord. That's good. But ultimately, we will return here and we will dwell and occupy and rule and reign here. And it's going to be wonderful. So as you sightsee, as you spend time around here, we don't want to spend too much time dwelling on our dwellings and our possessions there. But if you like where you live and you enjoy the area and whatever, then by all means think, hey, if it looks this beautiful now, can you imagine what the eternal perspective of this is going to be like? Now, we do have a call to care for creation. And we do have a call. Uh, this goes back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. I mean, Adam and Eve were given responsibility to be caretakers of planet Earth. So anytime you hear a Christian saying, well, I don't like what those climate activists are doing and this, that, and the other thing, please make sure that you're careful to delineate between the actions of the climate police that would run around chaining themselves to buildings and screaming and yelling at people and, and call, you know saying, let, let, we're going to put a, a tax on, uh, you know, cow farts, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, without saying, wait a minute, we can be better stewards of the environment. We can watch our water consumption, our fuel consumption, put less waste into the atmosphere. I mean, you know, it really is kind of a joke when you think about it. I mean, if you drive an electric car, have solar panels, whatever, I think that's, that those are all very helpful. But play the end game out. One of the reasons I'm pretty adamant about not being pro electric car right now is because I don't hear anytime I hear the sustainability argument doesn't hold water with me and the reason it doesn't is because it's like I was had a bottle of water we purchased a case of bottled water at Costco or whatever and you see on the label it says made with all recycled materials wonderful what happens though to this bottle I mean I'll, I'll try to recycle it but what about all the other people who are buying clothing made out of recycled stuff and what happens with that stuff? Does it get recycled again? Does it keep getting recycled? And and what kind of carbon footprint are you leaving? If you have an electric car right now, little if any part of that car is recyclable. It's going to leave permanent damage here on the, the earth, not to mention all the lithium mines that are going to drain precious resources from the soil. And the electricity is not 100% wind or solar. So... Some of that's going to involve burning coal to get electricity to, quote, unquote, burn cleaner. Maybe the car burns cleaner, but the overall footprint isn't any better. Well, now the cause de celeb when it comes to the environment is natural gas. Natural gas is bad, we're being told. And cities are falling all over themselves, trying to find a way to eliminate natural gas. Got a White House mandate and a California mandate. And now the city of San Diego, for example, has a climate action plan. And basically, the, remember the, the, the big furor a month or so ago, you know, we're going to eliminate gas stoves. Um, no new homes with, okay, well, I, you know, moving forward, I get it. If you want to try to do something that's all electric, knock yourself out. I remember living in a condo years ago that was all electric, but in doing some remodeling in the kitchen, I discovered some gas lines. And I asked the guy who was doing the construction what happened. And he said, well, basically, when they were building this condo complex, they were doing it for gas and electric. And Southern California Edison, I think was the electric provider in that space, came in and made them a sweetheart deal to make sure that all the units were all electric. So that's why you have an all-electric home that has gas lines in it. If you ever wanted to go back to gas, well, if you can get past the energy group, oh, the energy group. You know, we just kind of think of gas and electricity as things that, well, of course you want electricity because how are you going to see without it? How are you going to stay warm without it? But they're businesses just like anything else. I lived in the city of Anaheim for a number of years and was very surprised to find out that when it came to paying my electric bill, I paid my electric bill to the city of Anaheim. I was waiting for the Southern California gas and electric stuff. And nope, the city of Anaheim worked to deal with the local utility. They would buy those units, those credits, and then they would sell them back to their, uh, the citizens, ostensibly at a savings to the citizens, but at a pretty good profit for the city. 
So let's not forget that when it comes to water and electricity and gasoline and garbage pickup and health insurance and all sorts of things, the things that we think of, well, we've got to have them to live, the government says, hey, it's a business. And somebody's going to get paid. City of San Diego is trying to uh, cut their natural gas usage. But they're doing something rather different. They have a plan to reduce natural gas usage in all buildings by 90% by the year 2035. That's all buildings, not just the new builds, new construction, but even in existing homes. Anything within the city limits of the city of San Diego, they want all the natural gas gone by 2035, or at least 90%. Now, they're doing an analysis of all the buildings in the city limits, and then they'll figure out commercial, industrial, and residential structures. According to Shelby Busso, the city's chief sustainability officer, quote, what we're doing is first is figuring out and confirming some of our assumptions that we generally know but really want to make sure are confirmed, and then we'll go from there. Well, praise God, they're actually doing some actual measurement here and not just saying, well, we have an idea here. They want net zero emissions by 2035. Last summer, the San Diego City Council voted unanimously to not only eliminate natural gas hookups for all new construction, but to cut natural gas in existing buildings by 45% in 2030, 90% out by 2035. Okay, how much is it going to cost? Well, city officials say there are some economic benefits to the plan. They say an all-electric home can actually lower utility bills. Um, for example, one report says that you can save anywhere from 130 to $540 per year. Uh, San Diego Gas and Electric has the hookup deal for natural gas hookups, as well as STG&E has all the electric as well. They have 905,000 customers. They really don't know specifically what the action plan is going to entail in terms of cost. But here's the deal. What did we determine the cost was savings? $540 per year? Well, while the city does not have an actual cost of what the savings would be, San Jose does, and here's what they estimate. Um, San Jose, well, New York City is going to spend $4 billion with a B over the next seven years to retrofit 100 school buildings so they no longer burn fossil fuels. $4 billion. That's in New York. In San Jose, it's estimated that to fully electrify a home would cost anywhere between 26000 and 31000 for a single-family home and twenty one to 25000 for a multifamily home. Now divide that by 540 and tell me how long it'll take to pay for it. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to who's going to pay for it, city's not going to pay for it. County's not going to pay for it. State's not going to pay for it. Guess who's paying for it? You are! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> if you so choose, I think you should. But if you don't, well, you should have the liberty to go without. But that's a conversation for another time. Speaking of liberty, E.W. Jackson has some reflections of a patriot who descended from slaves. A true story about what it was like to grow up in a home where stories of slavery were commonplace. And yet, E.W. Jackson went on to law school. He went on to seminary and is even considering a run for president. He writes about it in his new book called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. E.W. Jackson joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Well, a special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to the hearts of all Americans. Bishop E.W. Jackson is with me today here on The Bottom Line, a Marine Corps veteran, retired attorney, graduate of Harvard Law School, pastor of the Called Church, and also the president of Stand, Staying True to America's National Destiny. In addition to being an author and a pastor and a speaker, he hosts The Awakening and the Wisdom Awakening podcast, that awakening you'll find on American Family Radio. And he joins us today to talk about a book. It's a memoir of sorts, but really kind of more of a letter to uh, the idea of uh, the great land that we live in. It's called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. And we have a link for that book up at the bottomlineshow.com. E.W. Jackson, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you again. Love having this conversation, especially as you tell your story and talk about America from your, from the eyes of somebody who might have a different opinion. That's one thing I have learned. I mean, as I, you can see the, the the gray hair, there's a lot of dust on the bottle these days. I mean, the more, more trips around the sun I get, the more I talk to people who are in the United States and the more there seems to be, I hate to say, but I'll say it anyway, a bit more confusion as to why America's here, how America got here, and why we should be optimistic about the future. But you're very optimistic about the future, knowing that you I have really, a, Yeah, talk, talk about that, if you would. I, I really am, Roger. And they look, the recent poll came out showing steep declines in patriotism among Americans. Gen Zers, only 16% are proud to say they are American or proud wow. to be Americans. I mean, that those are disastrous numbers. And of course, it hasn't happened by accident. Uh, it's because they're not hearing the message that I and so many others, you and others embrace, which is, no, we're not a perfect country, of course. But if you compare the United States of America to the rest of the world, we are the greatest nation for anybody to live, to work, to get educated, to build a life, a, a family, a business, uh, to, to fulfill your God-given potential. There's no better place on earth for that. And I wrote the book titled it that way, Sweet Land of Liberty, because that is my favorite uh, patriotic hymn, Sweet mm -hmm. Land of, uh, you know, my country, tis of the tis sweet of land of liberty. But I wrote the book to say, me, born uh, into poverty and a broken home, raised in foster care until 10 years old, a member of a gang. And yet look at the opportunities I've been afforded in this great nation. Uh, and yet I am indeed a descendant of slaves. Mm -hmm. And there's no better place on earth for anybody, regardless of the complexion of their skin or their ancestral history, to live. And, and so that's why I'm optimistic, that I really believe that when that message gets heard in, with sufficient volume and, and, and with sufficient reach, people will wake up and say, you know, actually, we're being sold a bill of goods, that America is the worst place on earth, when there's no place better, no place I'd rather live than my country. Mm. I love the, to hear you say that to E.W. Jackson talking about his brand new book, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. You're a Christian, you're a Republican, you're a pastor, you're a veteran. I mean, you check off a lot of boxes that are resonating with uh, Bottom Line Show listeners. And yet I'm sure there are some, uh, Bishop Jackson, I'd love for you to, to, uh, to address this if you would who are saying, okay, yeah, but aren't you somehow, did you have to kind of deny a certain part of who you are and your past and your legacy to become who you are? I mean, how do, how do you stay true to your family heritage and also love America and its roots, knowing that our roots, when it comes to your family heritage, aren't always that great? Well, look, the reality is my heritage is American. Think about this. People live in this country. I'm talking about legal residents now. Yeah. From every nation on earth. See, Roger, this is my view. I, as a Christian, as a preacher, I've said to many churches and, and Christians I've talked to, we need a theology of place. And by that, I mean, we need to understand that according to scripture, we're not here by accident, but re really by divine placement. Right. I, I have upset a lot of people by saying, you know, I don't care how my ancestors got here. I'm just mm. glad they got here. Mm -hmm. Because as a result of their coming here, I get to live here. Well, on a, in a more serious way, I really believe that it was the hand of God 
seeing far beyond the circumstances that, that, that Africans, that Irish, that Italians, that Germans, that Asians would encounter when they first got here, seeing beyond that and seeing to the great freedom and opportunity and hope that we would eventually all inherit as part of that Declaration of Independence and that right. constitution that secures our liberties. And so that's the perspective from which I come. Yeah, I know what's happened in the past. I'm not in denial about that, but I know the opportunity that's been afforded to me as a result of what my ancestors go have went through. And by the way, most demographic groups in this country can say something very similar. Mm, that's an interesting statement from E.W. Jackson today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. What led you to the military? Well, I, was gonna, I could ask you any of these questions about any part of your background. What led you to the military? What led you to law school? What led you to uh, seminary? How Talk about... Obviously, a faith in Christ had to become a part of who you were before any of this was going to happen. You came from a broken home system, foster care and things of that nature. How did God get a hold of your heart? Well, my father took me out of foster care at the age of 10 years old. And I've told this story many times. I'll yeah. make it brief. But I was standing on a street corner with my gang. My father pulled up, knowing I was getting into trouble, knowing that I was hooking school. Uh, I, was, I was on my way to jail or an early death. And my father pulled up on a street corner and pointed his finger at me and summoned me to his car. And he said, after saying hello, he said, you know, you always say that you want to come live with me. You really want to come live with me? And I said, yeah, dad. He said, get in. Took me to my foster home and literally, Roger, within a half hour, my life changed completely. Because in spite of my foster mother, who had raised me, by the way, from 14 months old, mm. in spite of her protestations and hysteria, frankly, and tears and begging, my father said, if, if I don't take my son, we're going to lose him. And he was right. But right. but I'll tell you, from that moment forward, I looked ahead with a sense of purpose, a sense that life had great things to offer me, that I had to do certain things in order to be in a position to inherit those things. And so when it came time for me, I finished a year of college and felt like I hadn't lived up to my potential and wanted to do something meaningful. And I was really taught by my father a sense of duty and personal responsibility and felt that I owed the country something. It was a kind of little nascent patriotism there. And I joined the Marine Corps mm. thinking, okay, well, this will be an opportunity for me to do something meaningful to serve my country. And when I come out, I'll have some GI Bill benefits. I can go back to college. And maybe by that time, I'll have a sense of really what I want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it worked out that way, frankly. But that's how I got in the Marine Corps. And then as a result of having come out of the Marine Corps, going in a boy, having come out a man, Hmm. Uh, within a short time, I figured out, okay, I want to be a lawyer and I want to go to Harvard Law School because I met Harvard Law School students. And frankly, I thought to myself, well, these guys don't seem to be any smarter than I am. <laughs> if they can go <laughs> to Harvard Law thinking. School, why can't I? Sure. And uh, but others teaching, Roger, he, he never taught me to be a victim. He never taught me to hate my country. He never taught me that things couldn't happen for me because of racism. My father always said to me, son, you are going to meet obstacles in life. You go over them, under them, around them, or through them, but you don't let anything stop you from doing what you really believe is for you in life. That's and that's that's how I ended up ultimately with a father with a sixth grade education who got who developed and trained a son to, to graduate from Harvard Law School. I love it. I love it. And I love that attitude of saying, hey, you know, here's the problem. The problem's going to be there. The question is, are you going around it? Are you going under it? Are you going over it? I mean, what, whatever it is, you're going to handle this problem. And God bless your dad for taking those steps. Uh, E.W. Jackson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His book is called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to break a little early here because when we come back, got a couple of uh, issues to, to deal with head on that Bishop Jackson deals with in his book with regard to the pro-life conscious of an American and racism and and even the uh, the LGBTQ assault on American values. I'm going to talk about that with E.W. Jackson coming up next as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. 
When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Bishop E.W. Jackson is my guest. His book is called Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. It's a hardcover book that you are going to be inspired by for sure. And we do have a copy of it that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the brand new book by E.W. Jackson is called Sweet Land of Liberty. Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, in E.W. Jackson's case, since his grandfather, when he was born, his E.W.'s great-grandfather was 70. So for people who would say, gosh, there's, I mean, I don't know why we talk about this stuff, I mean, so much, because it's not impacting us today. I don't know anybody who was a slave. I mean, this is very interesting to hear E.W.'s reflections. And the thing I appreciate about it is that obviously he's not backing away from history. He could probably tell us some stories that we've never heard before that we would benefit from hearing. And yet the man had the opportunity to go to law school. He had the opportunity at Harvard Law School to go to seminary, pastored for many years, has considered running for president. And I think he's a great broadcaster, good communicator. But the thing that is impressive about E.W. Jackson to me is that he acknowledges the past but says Christ has given me a hope and a future. That is good news, and that is the bottom line. More of my conversation with Bishop E.W. Jackson talking about his reflections of a patriot descended from slaves. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues in just a moment. E.W. Jackson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line on radio, on our audio podcast, and also on our video podcast, too, as well. Yeah, you can see this handsome guy who's full of energy and the passion of the Lord, uh, E.W. Jackson at MyHopeNow.com. A Marine Corps veteran, retired attorney, uh, graduated from Harvard Law School, as you mentioned just before the break, uh, pastor and uh, author of this brand new book called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, E.W. Jackson, you do have a part in your uh, in your very comprehensive book where you talk about racism in America. Obviously, we note in the title of the book that you are a descendant. Was your great-great-grandparents? Uh, my my great-grandparents were slaves and then sharecroppers in Orange County, Virginia. Some people question that. They say, well, how could your great-grandfather, but my great-grandfather had children, had my grandfather when he was in his late 70s. So, wow. okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. My grandfather was born in Orange County, Virginia and, and moved on to Pennsylvania. And that's how my father was born in Pennsylvania and then me. Wow. Incredible story. And I didn't know there was an Orange County, Virginia. I knew about the one in New Jersey and Orlando, and I grew up in the one in California. So we'll have to chalk off another uh, Orange County of Virginia there. But Well, Roger, but, Roger, just to be quick, Monticello is in Orange County, Virginia. Really? And Montpelier are in Orange. Yes. The two wow. presidents and states are in Orange County, Virginia. Yes. Of course. I knew there was something to like about <laughs> Orange County, and we've got that in common. Um, let's let's talk about, though, the, the issue where you said, hey, look, People say, how could you be, you know, descended of slaves then realizing that your dad or your father rather you know, was that far apart from his grandfather or his dad, but that's the way it was. And so I think a lot of people want to think when it comes to racism in America, we're past it because slavery was a long time ago. And even the you know, Civil Rights Act and that's 60 years gone by, it's still very real for you. And yet this is something that... It, I get the sense that there are those who are uh, with out of one side of their mouth saying we want to come to some solutions out of the other side of their mouth. They're saying, yeah, but that's not good for my business model. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but how do you describe it? How do you deal with it? I mean, we've actually had an African-American president here in the United States. You know, that's the top executive position in the world leader of the free world. And you'd think that maybe Americans had moved on, but I don't think we have yet. Well, Roger, I, I think there are people who don't want us to move on. Uh, yeah. I say it this way. I don't deny that racism exists because I think that it's a condition sure. of the human heart, just like there's division of all kinds 
that people use to divide themselves from other human beings. It, can, it might be geography, it might be demography, it might be tribe, it might be family, it might be education, it might be religion. But people find reasons to divide themselves and race is just one of those reasons. But what I tell people is, I don't allow racism to determine my destiny. My destiny is determined by my faith in God and the decisions that I make. And so mm -hmm. I, let me give you a, a, an example to start yeah. it this way. My wife and I were riding in the car. And we, we're, we're both of the same mindset. And I asked her, I said, you know, I've never asked you this. I said, but, you know, here we are now, you know, up in age. Was there ever a moment when you felt like you were being denied something that you wanted or that you were entitled to or that you were trying to achieve and that race would, wouldn't allow you? And my wife looked at me. She said, no. And I thought, me, not me neither. I, I've never come into a situation, here again, I'm not denying that racism exists, but I've never come up against a situation where I said, well, you know, I'd really like to do that. I'd really like to have that. I'd really like to achieve that. But they won't let me mm -hmm. because I'm black. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, the only racism I've ever really experienced that was any threat to my progress was when I was graduating from college, summa cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa Key, straight A student. I went to my professors for uh, recommendations for Harvard Law School, but that was my first choice. And they told me, you don't want to try to apply to Harvard because black people don't do well on the LSATs. Mm. And I don't want you to be disappointed. You need to lower your sights and try to get into a school that you're more likely to get into. But you see, Roger, the way I was raised, I thought, well, I will just see about that. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. determined, oh, yes. well, really? My, my my ancestors have been here for 200 years. You think I don't have the culture? I don't understand mm. American culture. Mm -hmm. And so I just set about learning about the LSATs, taking practice exams, and ultimately ended up doing very well on the LSATs. And then when I finished law school, I was told the same thing about the bar exam. Well, I didn't take two bar exams when I finished law school. I take one bar exam. I took two at the same time and passed them both on the same oh, time. So oh, my. Oh, my. But, but here again, I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying I ha I was raised with a different mindset and mentality yes. that mm -hmm. said, you know, you can do it, but it's up to you. I could have failed the bar exam and said, you know, the reason why I failed is because those white people have made those bar exams mm -hmm. culturally mm -hmm. biased. But I, for excuses, I was looking for success. Yes, yes. And I love that story from E.W. Jackson today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. When were you at Harvard again? Refresh my memory. Uh, from 75 to 78. Okay, I a few years. in 1978. Okay, a few years before you were there, you know James Brown from, I think, CBS Sports, JB? Uh, he oh, I had... Uh, he had uh, uh, the opportunity to play basketball. He was a great basketball player right around the time John Wooden was coaching at UCLA. And he was recruited by Harvard because he's from the East Coast and UCLA. And he had, hadn't heard from UCLA yet as to whether or not they're going to offer him a scholarship. So Harvard offered him a full ride and he took it. You know, that black guy in the 1960s going to play at Harvard and go to school at Harvard. An hour later, John Wooden calls and says, I have a full ride for you. And he's looking at his mom going, Mom, what do I do? And she goes, what do you mean, what do you do? Tell Coach Wooden, I'm sorry, you're an hour too late. And so he tells John Wooden, no. He hangs up and he goes, Mom, why did you have me do that? And she said, because your degree from Harvard right now is going to mean more to you and the world than playing basketball at UCLA. And I was ruminating with what you were saying about Harvard Law School. Oh, yeah, I'm going. I'm going, you know, don't tell me I can't do it. <laughs> right. and, and and JB turned out okay, you know, with his athletic I and know whatever. JB, great, yeah, yeah. great, great man and great man of God. Oh, isn't he? I wonder, one of my prized possessions was getting to spend an hour with him and have him tell that story. But I think about you know, what your mindset, Tim's, yours. I mean, this is something that it, it, it you don't feel you're being disloyal, you know, by saying this. Is, I mean, I, I understand cognitive dissonance. I'm a Christian and I'm an attorney and I can hold two seemingly conflicting points of view at the same in my hand at the same time. Yes, slavery is a stain on America, but yes, this is a sweet land of liberty and a great opportunity too. And that's the message that you're preaching in this new book. And, and Roger, the other thing I make clear, uh, real students of history know this, but of course you won't hear this polemic. Uh, you won't hear this truth coming from those who want to polemicize against the country. Roger, slavery has been practiced all over the world. It has been a universal institution and if, unless you were born to royalty or born to wealth, the likelihood is somewhere in your background, 
your ancestors were slaves or serfs or lower class people who were treated like slaves. I mean, the Irish who came here for all practical purposes were slaves in Great Britain. And many mm -hmm. people who visited Ireland and saw the condition of the Irish thought, well, you know, the slaves in America have it better because at least they're, they're fed, they're clothed, uh, they're given me medical care. And the lives of the Irish people seem to be of, of, of no value at all. So there's no such thing as living in this world or having a background that has no pain, no suffering, no subjugation. It's yeah. universal. And yeah. I think this attempt to somehow condemn America as if we invented the institution <laughs> and kind of perfected it. The yeah. fact of the matter is the Muslims of North Africa were practicing sub-Saharan African slavery hundreds of years before the first Portuguese arrived in Africa and began and got introduced to the slave trade. The, mm. the uh, Barbary pirates were enslaving Europeans uh, on the high seas, pirating their ships, putting the women into slavery in harems, putting the men into slavery in their military. It's not the skin, it's the sin. Amen. Amen. I love that thought from uh, E.W. Jackson today here on The Bottom Line, and I highly recommend his book, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, we've got a couple moments left in our conversation uh, with E.W. Jackson, and I, you, you talk with great fondness, of course, of the United States of America, the opportunities that are here, uh, the fact that we as a Christian nation make it possible for people of all different faiths or no faith to actually peacefully coexist if they'll actually follow the biblical yeah. uh, establishment. Take a moment, though, you mentioned something earlier about Generation Z being so anti-American. I mean, they've been taught to hate this country, they hate capitalism, they hate everything that should be good and right and true, not being told, well, the reason capitalism is bad isn't because the system's bad, it's because people use it awfully. I mean, that's, there's no other way to describe it. How do we approach our values as Christians in an era of what you describe as American shame? Well, I think, first of all, we have got to be unabashedly and unashamedly people of truth. I think we've got to call them like we see them. Yep. And I said, for example, we've seen the way the criminal justice system these days and the, the Justice Department is used to punish people based on their politics. And we have to be people who are categorically against that, no matter which way it cuts. Yep. Uh, we want fairness. We want decency. We want honor toward all people. And so we as Christians have got to uphold the standard. I was saying on my radio program today, I can't, I can't sit in front of that mic and espouse violence and hatred toward uh, homosexual activists or, or abortionists, even though I hate what they do, I abhor what they stand for. I can't right. hate them as people. God's not going to accept that. So we as Christians have got to speak the truth in love. I think that's the most critical thing People won't like it in many cases. They'll hate you for it. But we've got to keep doing it because if we don't, people are going to be lost in confusion as they are now. We just saw, I don't know when this will air, but this shooting at a Christian school Oh yeah, and, and yeah. the tremendous angst that's caused. And apparently there's a manifesto that indicates hatred for Christianity because, of course, it opposes certain things as sin. But we can't shrink from standing up for what we know is right in the sight of God but also unequivocally loving people, even though we don't agree with them. You're retired from the pulpit. You're retired from the law practice, of course, but that doesn't rule out an opportunity for you to run for office, E.W. Jackson. I mean, where do we sign up to get well, you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't retired from the pulpit yet. Okay, good, uh, good. As, as far as running for office is concerned, uh, I say, listen, there are many people around the country, Roger, who've asked me to run for president, and I tell them what I, I, I will if my wife will let me. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys could run on the ticket together. How about it? Yeah. Yeah, we're we're still negotiating that one. Okay. Okay. Well, I like it. Well, Sweet Land of Liberty is the new book by E. W. Jackson. Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. There's a link up for the book at the bottomlineshow.com. And we'll be giving away copies of the book as we conclude our interview. But first, let me thank E. W. Jackson for joining us once again. Uh, audio and video links connected and both up where they're supposed to be. Uh, thanks for being with us, uh, Pastor Jackson. It's always thank great to you, talk Roger. to you, Roger. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Great conversation. I love that man. It's so nice to be in the presence of E.W. Jackson. Every chance we get, his brand new book is his biography. It's called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves, 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You're really going to be blessed by this book. Or maybe you know somebody who would love to hear it, love to read it, and uh, you can share it with them too. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. One of the great things about our liberty here in the United States is we have freedom of speech, freedom to assembly. We've got freedom to actually uh, worship and to practice our religion the way we want to, unless you're at a government hospital during Holy Week and you're Catholic. Uh, True story out of Walter, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center about some Catholic priests who were basically given a cease and desist letter to stop providing their kind of care during Holy Week. Why did this happen and what's being done to rectify this situation? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and my thanks again to Bishop E.W. Jackson for joining me for the last half hour to talk about his biography, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. We've got one copy to give away at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I'll give you a hint, let you in on a little secret here. Though we only have the one copy of the book, If you ask Crystal, we may have a Charles Stanley calendar or a a David Jeremiah devotional hanging around, you know? You just got to know how to ask and who to ask. So, okay, that's not for everyone, but just for you if you call in at 800-227-5278. I didn't hear about this until recently, but evidently during Holy Week, the federal government and the Justice Department decided to do something rather interesting. They decided to make it virtually impossible for Catholic priests to provide care to those who are wounded and recovering at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. As a matter of fact, 24 members of Congress, who just all happen to be part of the GOP, wrote a letter to U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. In the letter, they basically said, hey, what is this attack on Christian faith? Why is it that you, well, let me read part of the letter to you. Last week, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center sent a cease and desist letter to Holy Name College Friary, which is a group of Catholic priests, ordering them to stop providing pastoral care at that facility. The same group of priests have served at Walter Reed for nearly two decades, and the letter came with the order just days before Easter. Forcing priests to stop providing care during Holy Week is not only morally wrong, but it's also a violation of the First Amendment. The lawmakers praised the Catholic priests who, quote, have stood alongside our service members through the darkest hours of our history. They joined American service members on the battlefield and provided care to all in need. The letter continues that the lawmakers want an answer from Lloyd Austin as to why the Biden administration sent a cease and desist letter and why the administration chose to literally terminate the contact with the Holy College Friary. Now, the lawmakers say that the Archdiocese of the military informed them that the contract for providing pastoral care was taken away from Holy Name College Friary and was, quote, awarded to a for-profit secular company that does not provide pastoral care. Now, (laughs) 
Help me understand this, if you will. I get political correctness. I know that there's been a big push on the atheist side of the equation to have, quote unquote, chaplains and to do, quote unquote, worship services and things of that nature. But if the Holy College or the Holy Name College Friary, which provides priests and pastoral care from the Catholic perspective to the service members who are being cared for at Walter Reed Hospital, why during Holy Week would the administration send a letter to the friary saying the archdiocese said, hey, look, we were informed by the U.S. military that the contract that we have for providing pastoral care has been terminated. And not so it's bad. enough. Hey, hey, happy Monday, Thursday. We're canceling your contract. We don't want any. There's a Catholic service member at Walter Reed who wants someone to come in and celebrate communion to do mass for Easter Sunday. And they can't get that now from a, a Catholic priest because the priests who were assigned to Walter Reed Hospital had their contract terminated right during Holy Week. If that weren't bad enough, why was a new contract given to a for-profit company that does not have a faith component and doesn't pro- provide pastoral care? Maybe they provide counseling and things of that nature, but nothing with a faith component. The 24 members of the House asked the question, who was awarded the contract and why? Basically, they wanted contract terms. They wanted to see who applied for it. What was the review process like? What were the review comments like? They wanted to see the letter awarding the contract to this organization. And they basically said, any internal emails and documents that go along with this, we need to have it. Um, the lawmakers concluded their letter by saying this attack on the Catholic Christian faith by the Biden administration during Holy Week is unconscionable. We expect answers by April 21st, which is tomorrow. Now, the Defense Health Agency told Fox News Digital, quote, there was no cancellation of Catholic services of Walter Reed and certainly not during Holy Week. The Defense Department also, our Defense Health Agency also told Fox News Digital in an email, quote, a contract was not terminated. Here's their defense. As with both contracts, I'm reading their response, they have a beginning and an end. The contract originally ended on December 31st. It was extended until March 31st. The contractor was aware of the contract end date. A new contract was awarded to a different company effective April 1st. When the previous contractor continued to provide services after April 1st, a cease and desist letter was sent stating the former contractor could not perform services since they were not under contract. Then the spokesperson who responded to Fox Digital said the, uh, the current contract is under review to ensure the right services are being provided, but there was no absolutely no loss of Catholic services to the community. Um, okay, um, I, I, I do have a question. The priests were provided by the Holy Name College Friary. When they showed up for duty or on April 1st, they were told that the contract had been terminated and awarded to somebody else. And yet the Defense Department's response was, oh, no, 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 the, the contract, there was no termination. The contract ran through December 31st. It had an automatic 90-day renewal while we negotiated a new one, and we awarded a contract to somebody else. So what it sounds like they're trying to make it sound like is that the Holy Name Catholic Friary, or College Friary, rather, was negligent in re-upping on the contract. The Defense Health Agency said, look, Palm Sunday Mass was conducted by the Catholic priest assigned to the hospital. There were services on Holy Thursday and Good Friday. On Easter Sunday, confessions were offered as well as Mass celebrated by a Catholic priest. The contract was not terminated. But in the same statement, they also said, the contractor was aware of the contract end date, which was extended from December 31st to March 31st, and then inexplicably just cuts to a new contract, co- contract was awarded to a different contract company effective April 1st. So we didn't cancel your contract, but we did cancel your contract? Um. <laughs> There's more to this story, and we'll get into it on the other side of the break as the bottom line continues.
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for Bishop E.W. Jackson's book, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, we're taking a look at the uh, uh, this kerfluffle at Walter Reed Military Hospital. The Holy Friars College uh, order. Uh, the I, I want to get this name right. Let's make sure we get the name right here. The Holy Holy Names College Friary was providing priests to Walter Reed Hospital for about 20 years. Their contract, current contract, ended December 31st, 2022. Automatic 90-day renewal. Apparently, there was some negotiation as to whether or not they were going to stay with. And on April 1st, the priest showed up for duty and found out that the contract had been given to somebody else. Um, Then they sent a cease and desist letter saying, don't you dare show up here. Two senior U.S. defense officials told Fox News that the decision surrounding the renewal of the contract for Catholic pastoral care was not handled by the Office of Secretary of Defense, did not involve the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was not made by the Pentagon. It was handled by the Defense Health Agency. Walter Reed said the contract for Catholic pastoral care was terminated at the end of March. They replaced the contract with a secular defense contracting firm that the Catholic Archdiocese says will not be able to provide adequate care. But Walter Reed says, hey, we're defending the move. There's always been a Catholic ordained priest on staff here providing religious sacraments to service members. There's always been pastoral contact in place to supplement those needs. But then they finally admitted, uh, currently the pastoral care contract is under review to ensure it adequately supports the religious needs of our patients and beneficiaries. At this time, the Franciscan diocese will not be hosting services on Sunday and parishioners of the diocese, while patients at our facilities may still seek those services. Um, In other words, we canceled the contract. We were hoping you wouldn't notice. We do have a priest on staff. That should be enough for you. Well, here's hoping and praying that our friends over at Walter Reed can actually figure this out, that they made a big old goof. And I'm grateful for the members of Congress, the 24 men and women who wrote the letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and said, hey, you whiffed on this one. Get these guys back in here. We've got a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. And keep all the members of our military, especially those who need uh, medical attention once they're back from the theater of war, Um, in your prayers and I I can't imagine what it must be like for the Catholic uh, service members who are healing up at Walter Reed to want to have a priest to confess to or to you know have mass with and there's one priest now for all of the Catholic service members of Walter Reed instead of this whole team of priests who are in college who would come over and provide multiple avenues for care so penny wise and pound foolish on the side of the government but then again your tax dollars at work, right? It's why we need to keep praying and keep holding our government officials accountable. Last chance to get in on the giveaway for E.W. Jackson's book, Sweet Land of Liberty, 800-227-5278. If you're a member of our KCBC listening audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And we've got uh, Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast going to be a great discussion. Hope you'll stay with us for that. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.